So one of the biggest mistakes we'd made um, as entrepreneurs was not charging out of the gate. Um, we were providing a service. It was more valuable than the existing service. We just weren't proud enough of it to charge money for it, uh, which is a very, very very nice to have you and I'm so glad that we get to chat I'm looking forward to learning more we've always been around each other like around launch yeah. Academy touched base talked to many times but I want to know uh, first of all how are you today doing great yeah no gearing up uh, heading to Ottawa tomorrow braving the the covid plane uh, with my partner because she's uh, she's from Ottawa so yeah uh, We had there for Christmas so this year it's gonna be we're gonna see a lot less people um, and quarantine for the first week and then come back but uh, still excited yeah that's how cool. about you that's like, cool. what are you up to yeah all, all is good on my end how is work doing like awesome surprisingly it was an interesting year I was putting together um, just a recap for someone and uh, The overall so we're in recruitment tech um, basically like and uh, in pretty specialized niche and um, in the last year recruitment industry as a whole has dropped by like 12% which is probably better than most people anticipated um, whereas recruitment technology like innovative recruitment technology like ours as a slice of that overall market has grown by 10% in that same period we've grown by close to 200% in terms of revenue so we've it's been a really good year i think people are more interested in doing things differently they're so change ready right now because they're having to go through so much change um, so people who had previously said no in years prior have come back which has been really cool So tell us a little bit about wh- where where did you all start with this and what is it and like the milestones that got you here um, yeah wh- wherever your entrepreneurship journey because you were n- you were not always an entrepreneur as I understand it is that accurate mm-hmm. to say it's fairly accurate I was always pretty yeah. entrepreneurial and it was always something I wanted to do but it wasn't uh, it wasn't the route I was going down yeah. for sure. So when did, when did it all start? What was like the first entrepreneurial ventures and some of the milestones that got you here of what you're doing now? Yeah, so speaking like more in general, I guess, like my, my first entrepreneurial venture was a music festival camp, which I still maintain today. It's got 250 members globally, um, totally nonprofit. Oh, wow. still fun. I still do some consulting for some Burning Man camps. It's pretty fun. Um, but that was kind of my first venture, very community oriented, people oriented venture. Um, then uh, when I was in post-secondary and doing my undergrad at SFU, um, I was interested in project management because it seemed entrepreneurial, but a safer path than being an entrepreneur. So I pitched I pitched a program to the Project Management Institute and I basically ran that whole thing. Um, so they kind of a program. It was, uh, it was just a program that enabled them to integrate. So the need I identified is the Project Management Institute had a really hard time integrating with post-secondary institutions. Um, they were generally an older group. They were kind of the governing body of project managers, similar how to the CPA is on top of accountants. Mm. Um, but they had a really hard time integrating with universities. And I saw that as a pain on both sides and basically pitched a program where they would provide mentorship, free training for the courses. And we'd handpick a handful of students from each university. They gave me funding for it. I ran that for 
three years. I think it's still running. Um, and we were recognized by PMI Global, and then I ended up on their board. And then someone who was in that institution basically offered me a job to stand up an IT project management office. Oh, wow. Uh, you are entrepreneurial. Like, I've always wondered <laughs> when I speak with you and you say you're on the board of project management, it's like, what kind of organization? Because you looked young and nothing to take away from you but my understanding exactly what you said of these organizations were like they usually older people governing bodies yeah. so you kind of kind of hacked your way in by <laughs> presenting them with something that was so compelling and you solved the problem for them good for you yeah it was really cool and then once i ended up on the board their biggest challenge there was they basically said you know oh we've probably everyone that's going to be a member in bc is a member um and I ended up after three years of decline, we led a, I built a new team around membership and we grew the organization by about 25% in the two years I was on the board. Um, and around that same time, that's kind of how Talent Marketplace started. So I was helping do these large IT PMO standups, which I was good at, but I hated it. Like <laughs> I really <laughs> didn't see myself doing it for that long. Um, it wasn't for me. And we had a billion dollars in like IT healthcare projects under us. And we had to do resourcing and staffing for all of those. And the staffing process just took so long. It was completely manual. Um, and it reminded me of a problem that I saw when I was in high school. So when I was in high school, I was working as a temp worker, taking on these random odd jobs, getting paid pretty well for a high school kid. Um, and I figured out how that recruitment business model worked. They'd take a markup on me for every hour I worked and they didn't really do that much, but it was hard work because it was so manual for them. They had to call like, you know, 50 people to get one person in. So I pitched and I fast forward to when I was with the PMO, I had same problem, different kind of uh, profession um, and pitched an idea to my boss of a digital bench of talent. Um, and then it was a very iterative process after that. Wow. That's super yeah. cool. And where's Talent Marketplace right now? Uh, how many yeah, people are you? Yeah, we're a team of 10, um, just over, um, like we're growing really rapidly. I think we've hired six in the last month, fully bootstrapped. Wow. Um, we've had a couple um, investors from the United States reach out to us recently who, you know, we're, we're having those discussions, but um, who knows if that'll be the path we're going down. I mean, because we were bootstrapped, we pretty much reached profitability within, I think it was four months we were profitable and then pretty much more than doubling year on year after that, um, ran a really tight, efficient ship. Um, and, uh, you must yeah. have had good project managers. Yeah. Really good PMs <laughs> and a really good network in that space because, you know, we focused that recruitment marketplace that we built out so like so focused on business analysts and project managers in the early days now we can staff basically anything in an it project transformation about five times quicker than any other recruitment agency um and with a lot less touch points uh so you ramp up your projects quicker better chance of success and all that but it's just it's such an efficient machine because it was so hyper focused because we didn't have any funding <laughs> so we basically just had to make something small and profitable uh where our clients would do all of our marketing and sales for us which so far they have um and uh and now we're just at a completely different stage in the business which is really exciting 
That's awesome. I remember you guys, whenever I walk into Launch Academy, you're the first ones in, the last ones out. I think you're always there kind of. <laughs> and it's easy, it's easy to take away from what you're saying that, okay, no money and uh, hyper-focus and like hustling, that's how you succeeded. But it's more to it than that, right? Oh, yeah. And especially with, with someone like you who, who kind of specializes in project management and understanding what are the key kind of elements that made you so efficient and made you survive with no funding, get to, uh, get to that, uh, I mean, get to revenue really quickly, which is very fast for a startup. What are the yeah. key elements that you would say help you do that? Well, I mean, having to pay rent is definitely part of it. That was motivation. It's a big motivation. And as we've gone further along and talked to other entrepreneurs who are at our stage, but had a pretty good solid base of cash to start the business out. I mean, full disclosure, I think we started the company with $10,000 because that's all we had. So we put in 10K. And so it makes you create a hyper profitable business engine from the get go because it's, there's just so much pressure. You can't spend money on marketing. For example, you can't spend money on sales. You have to just build something that like really at its core solves a huge pain and works. Um, and you have to go to your customers like on day one. <laughs> so, um, so that I think for us, uh, but the key, so that was one big pressure. The other thing was in terms of our skills and what we had in house is our team was super process oriented. So it's me and two other co-founders, Scott Hirsch, uh, was one of the early hires at Traction On Demand. Um, really great CTO, um, doing software development for ages, has crazy stories around that. And Steve Ruggles, who can basically do anything. Um, he finished all three of his CFA exams by the time he was 24. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, he's super smart. And uh, yeah, and regularly underestimated. Uh, but he's crazy smart, the most hardworking person on the team. We were all super process oriented. So we had daily structured standups before we incorporated, before we'd quit our jobs. Even on Christmas, we had one. Um, daily structured standups, bi-weekly sprints. Um, we had reporting, even though we were reporting to no one, we were just recording these reports and have been, we still have them from day one um, on like all of our kind of operational financial metrics that reports obviously grown as we have more metrics, but, um, <laughs> it's the same core and that kind of process orientation, um, is what's gotten us this far, which is interesting because I'm a very results oriented person. Steve and Scott are very process driven. Um, so I'm constantly going through this up and down emotional roller coaster, whereas they're looking at the process and going, this is sound, this will work. <laughs> so I'd like to be more like that in 2021. How did right. you guys meet each other? How did you find each other and kind of end up working together? Yeah, SFU competitions. So um, Scott, so case competitions at SFU. SFU's oh, got- okay, okay. They still do. They've got a really good case school um, for Western Canada. Um, so Scott and I met at an international competition in Hong Kong that we competed at and won. And Steve and I won a, uh, a competition on project management, actually, which was a BC-based competition. Um, so we met in that kind of competition circuit. So we knew we could work together. Scott and Steve didn't know each other, um, but I knew I could work really well with both of them. Um, and once I got them connected, uh, which was in a basement of the library at SFU. 
in 20, late 2015. So I was working on, a, I convinced SFU to let me do a directed study on recruitment marketplaces uh, to finish my degree. Uh, so they did that. And then I looped Steven Scott in cause I couldn't do the technology side and I really didn't and couldn't do the finance side. <laughs> so, um, so they helped me finish that off. And then, uh, and then they saw the opportunity there and I wasn't about to do it alone. So we iterated from there. So we had a lean startup kind of process up until about two years ago. And then we've moved over to scaling up as our kind of core process. How did you know about lean startup and and how to because doing a startup is is a little bit different than um, than before than let's say the regular business and how project mm. usually project management are is waterfall driven I mean there is the there is the agile I, I think the agile method is finding its way to project management I may be wrong you're the expert yeah. here uh, but. How did you move to a lean process where it's it's not it's really about things can change as you move along? So what what, what was it like, and was was it something you read before or were aware? Yeah, of? it was it was something I'd read before. It actually I did my degree in um, it was the business technology management certificate um, at SFU. I didn't actually finish the certificate because um, there was two parts to the certificate. One was the entrepreneurship and innovation concentration, and one was the management information systems concentration. I was pretty much fully employed by third year and the entrepreneurship and innovation concentration had way less requirements to graduate. So I just did that one. So that, that's where I learned about, um, about lean startup and iterative stuff. And actually most of my project management mentors from the early days, and these are like people who are now retired, um, were kind of at the cutting edge of implementing agile within large scale organizations. So I was pretty familiar with iterative methods. Um, just in general, but the lean startup method um, is something that we took and we totally ran with. Like I have my lean canvas. I, I think I have like 18 or 20 iterations of it in that first year where I would take it to, I did a hundred coffees with um, possible clients before we wrote any code. So we took this canvas, put it down, and then they crapped all over it. And then I iterated, <laughs> crapped all over it, iterated until we had something that we thought made sense enough to try. Yeah. And your customers are organizations. So you are B2B, yeah. right? Yeah. We're B2B. Yeah. So Large enterprises. Mostly. And it, it's, it's hard for, for many entrepreneurs who are B2B. One of the hardest things is like talking to your customers. Unlike, I mean, not to say that B2C is, is is simpler, but it sounds like it. Oh, I can talk to my customers. I can reach out to them. So how did you get those first interviews and sit down with them? What did you do? What was the conversation like? Yeah. So the first, I'd say the first iteration of conversations when I was just asking questions was easy. People were engaged. Um, I was also, you know, on the board of the project management institute, I'd worked in the PMO space. I got a lot of introductions through that network. Um, which helped me reach people that I probably wouldn't have reached otherwise who were kind of in these, you know, large, big kind of like tech resources or the provincial health services authority or that kind of thing, ICBC, hydro, et cetera. Um, so those first conversations were great. Um, 
the challenge with disruptive technology, especially in an environment like BC, when you're selling to enterprises, is on the buying side. Um, I won't bore your audience with the world of procurement too much, but basically it's like it's really hard for them to assess a product slash service that doesn't align with how they buy products and services. For example, like the federal government is still working on their buying process for SaaS products. So there's no real defined way that they buy SaaS products. It's kind of shoehorned into other buying processes, which puts both the company at a disadvantage and makes it difficult for the buyer, the organization to actually make good on all of the advantages of the product itself, because it's like, it's hindered by red tape. So it's complex. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I, I may be remembering this wrongly, but I remember you guys celebrating your first check. Yeah. At Academy. Was it Steve that goes around like, hey, our first check or something like yeah. that? There's was no it amount that? of money. <laughs> it was like, I think it was like seven grand or something. <laughs> I mean, great. So tell me about that. How did that come along and like come about? Oh, and what God. was it like? Yeah, that was hilarious because we'd... So one of the biggest mistakes we'd made um, as entrepreneurs was not charging out of the gate. Um, we were providing a service. It was more valuable than the existing service. We just weren't proud enough of it to charge money for it, uh, which is a very, very common first time mm -hmm. entrepreneur mistake. Yeah. Um, and one of my biggest hopes is when people come to me who are first time entrepreneurs is I help them not make that mistake. <laughs> charge for your products. <laughs> charge for your friggin' product. Even if it's not a lot, like just charge anything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that with that one, it was a company, it was a nonprofit that we had provided free servicing to. And um, what was really funny about that was we provided them free servicing with the promise that if they came back, they would pay for it. Um, they came back, they hired someone and we were so ready to negotiate and accept anything basically. So this guy calls and he's like, yeah, we're going to hire them at this salary band. So it's a, at the time it was a percentage on top of your, whatever the salary was, which is how traditional recruiters charge. Um, and we didn't want to change our, our, payment process in addition to how things are done. So we kept that the same. Usually they charge 20 to 30%. We were charging, I think, 10% at the time. And, and we you were, were like, ready to negotiate even with that. Like so we were so ready to negotiate. We were like, okay, like if he comes back with like seven, we say yes. But if six, no. And he barely even, he was like, is there anything you can do about this? And he was like, uh, I think Steve was on the phone. He said, eight, how about 8%? And the guy didn't even blink. He was like, oh yeah, that's fine. Like we could have probably charged 10. We probably could have charged 15. <laughs> uh, but we were, I think, again, so desperate to, you know, make literally just like not burn our cash um, that uh, we were ready to rumble on that. And then, uh, and then the next month we got a few more and then it was quiet for a bit. And it was this kind of like, if you look at our first year, it was just like nothing, 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 bump, 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 bump. It was arbitrary, but um, yeah, things really started to stabilize after that.
what's the pricing structure right now that you that you're doing and why did you move to it from from yeah. the current structure so we realized we're a faster better product so we charge at the high end of the markup range so 25 to 30 percent or you can pay a lot less to pay us on a recruitment as a service basis. So how that works is basically we map out what your needs are for the coming year. Um, so for example, if you're hiring PMs and analysts um, for uh, ERP transformation, we will develop a talent pool specific to your needs. You can hire as many of those two roles as you want, which is crazy. Um, like that, you can save tons of money just based on that. Uh, and you pay us anywhere between, it's like 1500 a month per role to 2200 a month per role, depending on the complexity and difficulty of it. Um, and we have like some clients that are projected to save in the neighborhood of $400,000 a year, just based on that. Wow. And for us, we get to dig into these clients a lot more and really understand what their pain points are. They see us as a trusted partner because we're just paid to always be on top of their stuff and on top of their pain points. Recruitment is not our client's number one priority. Um, so it's, it's something they need to do, but they don't have time to do it. So for us having regular touch points with them, having a customer success process is a total night and day change to the reactive one-off nature of traditional recruitment, which is why it's grown so much this year. And while recruiter recruitment agencies are just laying off their staff. Excellent. That's, uh, that's, that's so fascinating to see how you, you've been able to enter an industry that is used to a certain way and kind of offer them a new way of doing something and the entice them by, hey, you're saving here, even though it's a new way. So you have to change how you think about it, but you're saving. Because sometimes like, oh, when I hire them, I'll pay. Right now you're you're paying, even though you haven't hired anyone yet. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, did you get any pushback on that? And oh yeah. How did you still do? <laughs> right. We still have clients who are charging us on a paper or we're charging them way more and making way more because they're paying us on a paper hire basis because they mm -hmm. can't or won't um, change their internal processes to enable them to buy a recruitment as a service tool. Um, and we're not talking like a little bit more, we're talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars more because they can't change their internal processes. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of layers to it. One is on the procurement side. They can't, you know, they can't buy recruitment as a service tool because it puts us at a perceived advantage over their other vendors, even though we offer a completely different service than their other vendors, but that's a switch that's gonna take them a while to make. Um, the other side of it is financial. A lot of these, organizations have capex budget assigned to contractors who are paid off on a per hour basis as they deliver for the business but they don't have the opex to pay for a software as a service tool to you and me it's insane it's the same it's all money like just move it yeah, just uh, but for these large organizations, yeah for these large organizations yeah. that's simply not an easy thing to do. Yeah. It's like the manager has control over CapEx. They don't have control over the OpEx budget for recruitment services. Yeah. That falls to HR and that's a different beast. So it is it is the challenge of working with with B2B where you have 
the person that's using your service and needs it. There's a person that pays for it. There's a person that okays it. There's the person that mm -hmm. doesn't like to change things. Why do we have to change it right now? So you sabotage is the whole deal. There's so many th layers that you need to work with. I'm sure that pushed sometimes some of you like guys, I mean, all the time that I dealt with you and I'm seeing you, you guys are always, you know, uh, fun to, to talk to, pleasant. But I'm sure as entrepreneurs, you had those moments where like, you know, screw it, this is it's not working or it's really hard. What were those moments like? I mean, really, as an entrepreneur, walk us through some of these moments that were challenging for you guys. Yeah, like I'm trying to think back. There was definitely like a few moments that stand out. There was a period in between like our first couple paid hires and nothing <laughs> for for months uh, in that first year where, you know, we'd, it would just be, you know, Scott was uh, usually often working from home. So Steve and I would be in the office and we'd have our daily stand up and then we'd, it would just be crickets for the day. Like we would basically be sending out messages, not hearing anything back, um, getting excited about small things that really were almost next to nothing, you know? Um, definitely moments where I kind of said, you know, okay, if we don't hit this mark before the end of the month, we need to have a serious conversation about closing up shop. Oh, wow. um, I really think that only happened once though, that we what got was that. It like? What was it like to have that feelings like, this might not work out. I may have to close this thing that I, that I've been working so hard <laughs> to get here. It was honestly kind of a relief to say that, oh, maybe we didn't shut this so down. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> at the time, right? Because it's just like, you're constantly working at this thing that hundreds of people said was a great idea and none of them want to pay for it now. Uh, that, <laughs> you've frustrating. God's, come on, pay for it. And you, yeah, you're going nuts. You're, um, yeah, you're not sleeping. For me, it was like, a, it was a major... I don't exhibit stress too much, like mentally, it more comes out physically. Um, so like, I'd just be sick all the time. Like oh, I, wow. I was sick, like a dozen times, just constantly walking around coughing for the longest time. Scott's impression of me was just him coughing while he talks because <laughs> that was just how I, oh, wow. which is totally unreasonable to do now. <laughs> like I couldn't come in the office like that these days. Um, but, uh, and that was it. Like, it was just like being sick, feeling the feeling of embarrassment comes up where you're just like, crap, like this was embarrassing. Like, is anyone going to hire me after this? Like, is this, <laughs> this, oh, wow. this is a stupid idea? Um, yeah. And I think, you know, you deal with it in different kind of ways. For me, it's like when I get stressed out, I just get frustrated and disassociate kind of. So you just, you find yourself just staring at walls a lot for me um for Steve I think he just like worked harder um and eventually like hit a period where he just burnt out um I, there was a number of periods where I just completely called it mentally and I was just totally burnt out from doing sales which I'm not naturally good at like I'm good at relationship management and building those and maintaining those relationships sales getting someone to convert that kind of stuff is not really my jam so having to do it all the time exhausting um i think the the hardest thing for me has always been you hit a milestone and you immediately forget about it it's over 
like when we hit a million bucks in revenue, we were kind of like in the year, we were kind of, we were excited and immediately now at the point where you're just like, how the hell do I double that again? Like, <laughs> what more do I have to do? Are any of these even going to renew? Like, there's so many, uh, there's now there's just bigger problems. Is this, so, is this, yeah. is this like kind of the function of, well, obviously I have to build, or we have to build a company that has to grow, has to, do, has to deliver. Is there that drive or is it internal drive? I mean, you don't have investors yet, as I understand from you. Yeah. So there's not that pressure. So what's driving that of, you know, like exactly at the moment you have, oh, we just hit a million dollars instead of celebrating. Oh, now I have to double that. Mm -hmm. So is, can you speak to that a little bit, please? Yeah, for me, it's an internal drive. And I've always tried to figure out what this really was. Um, for me, it's having, I'm really big on people and making sure that they're kind of, in, as I put it, like trying to find ways for people to just live better lives. And for me, it's like connecting from on the candidate side, like connecting some of these people with, in many cases, like even just like looking at like the Google reviews, sometimes it's like connecting them with their dream job and removing blockers for them. And like people who never would have even been considered previously because we have such a transparent process with an online marketplace that traditional recruitment doesn't allow for. It enables people to get on people's plate that they otherwise wouldn't see. On the client side, having seen that frustration before, knowing that the number one driver of IT transformation failure is a lack of talent in the right places at the right time, knowing that the cost of that is $10 million on average for a large IT transformation in the United wow. States, for an example. It's like, this brings that eight week cycle down to one to two weeks, sometimes days. And you're able to deliver these massive transformations, which in some cases with like healthcare, um, you know, they often say in IT, people don't necessarily die in healthcare. They do, <laughs> they do die. So it's, you, you have lives depending on that. So yeah, it was a sense of mission for you rather than like the number didn't represent the number itself. Is it fair to say that? It's been, yeah. It's, the number, the, it's yeah, about the it's impact all, that you're creating. Yeah. It's all about the impact you're creating with the, with the people and even like my staff, like I, I freaking love my team. Um, like they're, as the organization has grown beyond just Scott, Steve and I, it's been really cool to see how the culture has been shaped around Scott, Steve and I's bullshit has been awesome <laughs> um, because it's, yeah, we've built just like, I think a really great team um, and uh, with really strong internal values uh, that were built intrinsically. What would distinguish, like, your if you were to say the three things that would distinguish your team that are always, let's say, honored as values or things that you kind of hold true among the team that makes you a great team? What would you say that those would be? Yeah, I think we're for the a few things that come up are we're very community oriented, so we're very big on like building a group of people with like our talent pool with our clients and giving them opportunities to connect with each other outside of just getting hired. Um, and we do that kind of internally as well. Like we like the project management community. We like the technology consulting mm -hmm. community just as a whole. We try and host events every month on that that are pretty well attended. Um, 
we have kind of this layer of people just around us that we kind of pay attention to and try and get involved or work with as much as possible. Very collaborative in that environment. So the community is one big one. The honesty factor internally is really big. Like if someone's sick, you take a day off. Like if you're literally, it's not that you're sick or anything like that. You just need the day off because you need to fix your windshield or whatever. Like these are all just like, we're a very honest team because we, and we're very honest with like what our long-term goals are. Like there's like Steve eventually wants to hit the point where he's just writing comedy in the woods in a cabin, right? Like as an example. And we bring that to our internal team as well. Like our employees, we want to know what their long-term goals are. Like if that's staying with Talent Marketplace for eternity, that seems really unlikely, but like you know, sure. But it's like, what do you actually want to do after this? Where do you want to see yourself? Um, and we set them up on that path. And in many cases, people who've been with us for a while and then left, we've teed them up for those opportunities with a lot of intention through introductions to people. We want people to go follow their, their dreams, so to speak. Um, so that honesty component is big. Um, and then despite all that warm and fuzzy stuff, we're a very like winning oriented team. Like Scott, Steve and I all met winning competitions. Um, our first manager hire was, we hired a lot from the case comp programs at different universities. So like they're very like success winning oriented people. They think in terms of podium finishes, right? So <laughs> the, that's like another piece to it as well. So I'd see those are like the kind of the three main things that come to mind. Um, yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, something interesting that you said about setting up your team for for the next thing. I mean, a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs or companies they see if you're with us, you're like you're part of the family. Once you leave, you're you're not. And like there's there's a lot of I don't know uh, stuff <laughs> around. You know, yeah. people leaving or or staying, and they're part a part of the posse if you wish or part of the group and then you're not part of the group and it seems like I, I i love this approach by the way because i follow it myself i see myself who everybody who works with me as i'm part of their journey i'm not the end or the destination and and my job is to lift them up and and it's it's hard to do that because you're kind of you want your team to succeed and you want but at the same time you have to also care about what others do how do you kind of reconcile those about bringing the aligning the the company goals and wanting this person to succeed here but wanting them also to succeed in their lives yeah like i think there's because we work in recruitment it's relatively easy for us to constantly see the writing on the wall because there is zero statistical evidence to indicate that you should stay with a company for a long period of time. In fact, you are more likely to make a lot less money if you do that. Um, so from the candidate side, the right move is to move on a semi-regular basis every two, three years or so, um, especially if you're in organizations that are giving you a raise that's like a small percentage every like year. It's just ridiculous. Um, like, just don't do it. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and then the other side of it is like, if you like trying to hold on to anything, I think just in life in general, where things are always changing, you're always changing, the people around you are always changing and trying to hold on to that is not a great approach, but envisioning a better future and then working towards that is. So for me, if I can get an understanding of what my employees better future looks like 
I can lead them down that path. And as they travel down that path and they're alongside me or on Talent Marketplace's team, they're going to be better every day as opposed to stagnating um, and then eventually leaving so that they can grow. So grow them to the point where they want to leave. Um, you're going to get a lot more value out of them selfishly and more intrinsically, like they're going to go do something awesome. They're going to feel still intertwined with the business to some extent. They're going to be excited to backfill their position, uh, give feedback throughout the time you're there, improve processes because they have ownership over it and autonomy over it. Like it, it's a way better approach in my opinion. As someone who, who sees who saw this idea come through like from idea conception, bringing people together and to, to now where you are. And also as someone who probably sees a lot of project managers, which you saw is like close to entrepreneurial and, and having the ability to take also an idea to execution. What would you say is the key component of taking something that is just an idea, a thought, product, whatever it is, but it's a desire at the start and then making it reality. What would you say the key elements of making that happen? Obviously a reality that is a success, not just, just making it happen. Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting question because I do align with the reality that like a lot of it is randomness and it's important enough. Forget that. Cause that if you don't, if you forget that, like you can be pretty hard on yourself. Um, <laughs> the, I think the the trick to it for me anyway, was taking a very iterative approach um, with intention. Like, don't just randomly go around and say you're learning, say you're iterating, um, but like track that, track that you're iterating. Mm. Um, the, the rhythm of working, similar to just like working out. If you're, you know, if you're trying to go to the gym, create, create a rhythm around it, go at the same time, build a habit around building out that idea. And for, for me, and that's why, I mean, agile frameworks work is because you put your brain into a rhythm. You're meeting and talking about your to-do list every morning with your team. Every two weeks, you're looking at the last two weeks, seeing what you should start doing, stop doing, and kind of keep doing. And then you look forward at the next two weeks and you go, what are my big ticket items that I want to get off my plate? And then every day you're meeting and talking about it, building out that rhythm, kind of leaving that outside of your control and putting you yourself on a track um, is for me the biggest, most important thing to building something from scratch. That's so, that's such good advice. It, uh, the way I think I've learned that's, I think at the start of learning about, uh, lean startup, I started learning as well about the, I don't know if you read it before or heard of it, the Rockefeller habits. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm familiar. So, we do a checklist on that every, yeah. uh, every quarter. Yeah, so he talks a lot about rhythm. And I think the example he gives is about a, a band, that you have the rhythm section, and that gives you kind of the, the beat to, to play, to jam with that band and play with it. So having that rhythm, uh, I completely agree with that. And it's funny, you said that you guys came together and did those reports, even though there was nobody to report to. Uh, but, yeah. but that probably gave you the rhythm, right? You, you just got mm -hmm. into the habit and, and, it, and it pushes you forward. Um, and it keeps you going when it's hard to get going, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like if you, similar to your, the drum analogy, it's like, if you end up off beat while, you know, doing everything else, you'll eventually end up back on beat, um, because that beat's still there in the back, like mm. steadily banging away. So, yeah. That's cool. 
what is what is what is next to you guys what is what does the future look like how would you shape it if you if you had all everything you wanted oh god such a big question uh, <laughs> it's, it's really cool because i mean i think one of the challenges with being bootstrapped is now that we're in a position where we have cash there's people who are interested in potentially like providing us more capital it, it, the ripping our head out of the cockroach mode so to speak and being like oh we're like not, not a cockroach anymore we're like a tiger like we can go do stuff um so that's been a big shift for us so it's a great time for that question because uh, we're also doing all of our annual strategy planning right now which is way more robust than it was because for us, it's the big thing is how big can we make this? We know it works. We know we've got like good product market fit. We know our clients are happy. Um, the next big thing is, okay, how do we build out a sales and marketing machine? Frankly, like the next year is all for us about sales and marketing. Um, and we've, we've hired in that talent because we in-house with our core exec team, like we know there's a gap there. Um, we've hired some amazing people who we think are going to do really good work. They're going through all these processes. So for us, it's how big can we make this? It's a growing space. There were two reports um, on Andreessen Horowitz's blog in the last like six months. I'll, I'll ship them over to you because they're quite interesting. Um, both one, the first one was traditional recruitment won't help next year because there's going to be so much rehiring and recruitment marketplaces are the way forward. And then the second article was detailing what a good deep recruitment platform looks like. And we ticked, we've ticked all those boxes since we started like several years ago. Sounds so, like Andreessen Horowitz need to invest in you. <laughs> <laughs> sounds of it. Um, Vancouver startup though. So really <laughs> risky on the lifestyles. But, uh, but we're, we're spot on when it comes to that. Um, so what we realized is like, holy shit, like this, this might not be, you know, we were thinking like, oh, maybe it caps out at like, you know, $25 million a year. And that's like our max space. What we've realized now just doing the math on it is like we could build this into hundreds of millions of dollars a year, helping, you know, thousands of people per year uh, or more find their dream opportunities and have companies that have better people at the right time so they can deliver for their clients in return. That's super so, cool. All the yeah. best with that. I have the final question is for me is, is about you said we talked a little bit about the the two million dollars and what that what the, what that means, what it represents as, as not just as a number, but your impact. As a person, as an entrepreneur, how has your definition of success been different from the times when you started, like how, when you started kind of taking jobs and doing that, maybe it was, I don't know, financial or something. And what does success as a definition look like today? And what do you think of the change? Such a great question, because I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And even, you know, going to going to therapy and stuff to just figure that out. Like, what does that mean for me? Um, because it's always been it's always been trying to figure out what my driver is, like what drives me to go forward. I've been doing um, some calls with an awesome guy by the name of Mike Knapp, who's uh, been a good friend and mentor for many years. We oh, had a I good think I know Mike. I think I probably like great yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Great dude. Um, we had like an hour long chat. I think it was a couple days ago to try and f we just ended up on the topic of, you know, what's the 
what's my definition of success? Because it was, you know, it was frustrating. You, you go through the motions, especially in the early years where a lot of my peer group were um, out of university, like quickly, you know, they were not entrepreneurs, but they were making a boatload of money. They were buying houses, going on vacation, that kind of thing. And uh, I departed from that track <laughs> and um, I'm, you know, driving around my dinky Mazda two and they're, they've got their whatever Tesla they want kind of situation. And, uh, and that was really difficult. And then now it's what I'm starting to realize is, you know, I, I'm building this. It's not about the money. It's more about what that impact is. Like I get excited about people and communities that gives me a kind of drive that, you know, can keep me up at night working for no money. Um, and I've done that for years, like whether it's helping someone, just a friend of mine, try and sort out a life problem. Um, or if it's with talent marketplace, trying to like figure out and finagle a deal that's going to help someone out because um, a client out because they've got a weird cash situation where they need the money here. They can pay the same amount, but it's like money up front and then a little bit less later and that kind of thing, because I know it's going to help them. Um, so the short answer is I don't really have an answer for you, but I think it's something that everyone needs to spend some time figuring out and it's not an easy process. And especially even like when you think, you know, you probably don't. Um, and that can shift as you get older and things change and that kind of thing. So hopefully that was a good non-answer. <laughs> very good non-answer. I loved it. Uh, it, it speaks to how life is not as, is not like, you know, these platitudes and these kind of defined structure, even though we like it to be like that. I think we mm -hmm. sometimes have the desires like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And this is what it is. And then life happens and kind of, kind of like a hurricane destroys all of this. And, uh, <laughs> and we're left with like reckoning with stuff. And I think uh, I agree with you that it's kind of a, it's, it sounds like a, a process of constant discovery about self and how we interact with the world. Totally. And it's, it's really cool to speak with people who see it that way and can walk you through what that process was like. Like I'm a big fan of direct examples. Mike, for example, has fantastic direct examples um, where, you know, at different stages, you figure things out differently and you're you kind of, it's always approximately the same, but those, the specificity of it that enables you to track whether or not you're going to be intrinsically motivated to do something is, is difficult to get your finger on. Yeah. I know I said the final question, but I have another question that I Go have to ask. Down. Yeah. No, I got looking back where, looking back at your, at your previous self, let's say 10 years ago when you were just starting or five years ago, what, and it's the same advice probably you'd give, let's say, to an upcoming entrepreneur. What would you tell them? Like, what is one, two, or three things you would say, you know, don't worry about this or do that? Or what would be what would be your kind of learning or advice that you would leave them with? Yeah, I mean, charge for your product and cool. service a lot. And then if you don't already know sales, learn sales. If we did that two years earlier we've been we're just at the four-year mark now um if like as of 15 days ago actually um uh, which is exciting congratulations that's awesome um yeah if we if we'd done that two years earlier we'd probably be two years ahead 
<laughs> so, so um, yeah, look, find a great sales mentor, go work for like enterprise rent a car or something, or, you know, like just really get the raw nitty gritty of what sales is as a process, um, which will probably include getting paid for your work in, in, in it. But yeah, those are kind of my two biggest pieces of advice. Thanks, man. That's a great, a great, great, uh, good pieces of advice and learning. Thank you very much, Kate, for being here and for doing this uh, great kind of conversation. Uh, the reason I do these is because I'm, I'm meeting, I, I know all these amazing people, I'm meeting those amazing people. And after this conversation like this, like if we were, uh, as I usually do, we'd get over coffee and, and like learn about what you're doing and your update. I get out and say, I wish there were 10 more people or 100 people who were like, who listened to this. Uh, so that's the reason I'm doing that. Thank you for giving the time. Lovely talking to you and uh, wish you all the best on your ventures. Thank you. And thanks for making the time to do this. I think it's important. I know for me, hearing stories from other people, even though it feels like nothing to them because it's just their story, it actually helps you stay sane through what is, as you know, like a pretty crazy journey. Super awesome. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>